Hey, Je- Jeff, you're still here? I am. I'm, I did not leave. Good. Okay. All right. Um, hey, friends, this is The Smattering. If, if you missed it, go back to your player and check out episode one of the interview with Jim Gillies. This is part two. So just go ahead and we'll, we'll wait. Yeah, we'll wait here while you go back and listen to that one. You think, you think they're done, I Jeff? think so. We gave them enough time. Okay. Hey, good. Sure. Wait, hang on. Okay. Well, okay. All right. Everybody's here now. All right. Welcome. Welcome back, guys. This is time for episode two of the uh, interview with Jim Gillies. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. Give us feedback. Let us know. You know how to find us. Send us a note on Twitter. Send us an email. Let us know if you like these. We're going to try to do a lot more. Let us know if you have some ideas for people you want us to, uh, to interview. And if you know them, ask them on our behalf and then just let us know that'll work. Yeah, Jeff, that's good, right? Yeah. Jeff? Give us the suggestions. We love it. All right. On to part two of the interview with Jim Gillies. And is it going to make you rich? No. But that doesn't have to. And then you start playing, like, a, you know, Jeff, Jeff's playing uh, covered call games. Uh, I'm here to tell you, Jeff, I'm playing synthetic covered call games. So I don't put any money at, at risk. I just get the risk. Well, I put money at risk, but I don't put any money down. Um, uh, you know, cause so I'm, a synthetic long, I guess. So in other words, you're selling puts. Yeah, selling long dated puts, taking the money, using that money to buy long dated calls with the same um, with the same expiration and strike price, and then I'm selling near term three months, three four month call options. So it can rinse repeat on the calls. Wa- right, wash yeah. rinse repeat. Yep. Yeah. So it it, yeah, it can be a little bit fun. Yeah. So just for those the uninitiated selling calls being, or excuse me, selling puts being short puts is about as long as you can get in, in a way because it you're is. obligated. Somebody else now has the right to put the shares to you at a, at a fixed price, no matter what the price is today, you, you, you're obligated to either pay that price to buy the shares or buy back the put, right? I mean, that's, that's the only way you can get out of it. So um, it's an, it's an interesting well-heeled strategy for people that know how to use options. Yeah, I, I generally think most people probably shouldn't use options, which is a weird thing to say from someone who used to run an option service. Um, I think it's it's fair because let's be honest. Um, I think I think you'll agree with this, Jeff. I'd like to hear you too. Most people shouldn't buy individual stocks. Most people should buy index that, funds. That that is also uh, that is also an opinion of mine. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Not not because I think people are stupid and can't do it. Because actually, I I I actually I, I have a bit of a reputation. I'm like the dour one, or the you know Gillies doesn't like anything. No, Gillies falls in loves really easily. Like I you know I I love stocks. I love talking stocks. I love the investments. I like I love the intellectual challenge of finding something. Um, I, I want most people to do well. And I want to see most people, most people. Uh, I got a few people I don't want to see do well. Uh, but no, I want most people to do well. You know who you are, people. Yeah, you know who you, you are. Know who you you know who you are. Um, somewhere Bill Mann's ears are burning. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, life, life's no fun if I can't trash talk Bill. And I, and, and, and he, well, he's he, an he, avid listener. Trust us. I was gonna so say, and, and, he'll, and, definitely, he'll definitely hear this. Well, and also if, if he doesn't give it back to me, I'll, uh, uh, you'll, uh, a tear will, will come from the corner of my eye because no, I've known Bill for a long time. Um, but no, it, it's, I think I want, I want people to make the best financial decisions they can in practically every circumstance. And for a lot of people, that is not, you know, and I recognize I'm biting the hand that feeds me here, but a lot of people, because they can't handle the emotional implications of it, 
well, would to, probably to me, be best off not buying individual stocks. We'd be just dollar cost averaging index funds and going about your life. The thing that yes. jumps out to me when with what you said is like most people aren't comfortable or have the patience to get rich slowly. Correct. And they look at things like either options or buying individual stocks as a way to get rich quicker. And you know, I I've only dipped my toes into options because I have I because I have the Motley Fool option service at my you know I, I have access to it for the work I do for the Fool. So I'm basically just following someone who I really trust who knows this better than me to sort of you know to take small steps and learn it as I go, fully understanding the risk and fully understanding like I'm not expecting to retire in three months because of some option strategy that I have. But I think that that's that's what it boils down to. Like if if you're not willing to let time do its thing, you should be in index funds and avoid options, just like we're saying. Um, and I think there's a level of like a desire to learn about it and put the time yeah. in too. The more you're going to be active with your investments. Well, and and so so here's the thing, right? Like, um, yeah. So options right now is helmed by Jim Mueller, who I've worked with. I've known Jim Mueller since before either of us were fools, actually. Um, and. Uh, you know, he he was an analyst uh, on the team when Jeff Fisher and I were running that, and then when Jeff uh, Jeff left to go to the asset management side of the business, and I was running it for uh, just kind of a solo advisor, and then I've moved on. Um, I think it sound like we abandoned ship. No, no, it's we like you like to switch up your what you do, right? Because you know you can't stay somewhere forever. At least I can't. Um, and 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 so. The whole thing that we brought in when we first launched Molly Fool Options in 2009 was like, look, there's a lot of misinformation about options. There's a lot of get-rich-quick mentality, like you say, Jeff, about it. Um, we're going to bore you to profitability. That was the goal. We, because options, options are just tools. They're just math. And um, they can be used for good or ill. Uh, you can absolutely make multi-bagger money on certain strategies, but that's going to well, with those strategies. You're also you, you. Sometimes you might be applying leverage, and you're also the market. Let's be honest. The market makers for for the options market, they get the math and they understand. Oh yeah, the they, they, they know the math better than you do. So but you know that, and that's, that's why they continue. That's why they're able to be the market makers, right? And I was te- I was texting with a buddy earlier um, today about he sees an opportunity over the long term that could be a hundred X on some leaps, right? Some long-term out of the money options that he thinks could be potentially a hundred X. Uh-huh. But I, the I predict that guy's going to learn a, learn a lesson. He can learn no other way. Well, right. Losing money. Right. <laughs> so the prob the probability of that act of the, of that outcome is very, very low, Jim. Yeah, and this exactly. was the question I wanted to ask you and it ties right to it is that from, from watching that same Molly full option service, while you ran it and while you were involved, and then Jim uh, Mueller, is he is he kind of got involved in with you and then took it over? It's more about hit rate, right? It seems like that's the it bigger goal. It should be goal. only hit rate, right? It's it's getting it's it's making money on every single trade, yeah, right. And and also and also in any market. Well, and that's just it. And so the analogy I like to use, you're a baseball fan, Jason, so you'll remember. I don't know if Jeff is or right. not. Um, so is Jeff, well, I mean, he's a Mets fan, so oh, I don't okay. know if that's his Well, 
you know, I'm, I'm a Blue Jays fan, so we had, you know, that one brief shining moment, and now we, uh, well, hey, you're welcome, you're welcome for your GM that brought you your World Series uh, I, ring. I am, uh, and that'll, that'll make up for that 1992. Um, when the Jays won their first, the, yeah. Well, yeah, okay, yeah. so so here's the thing, right? In, in, in the 80s, the Jays were perennial contenders, but they could never get over the hump, and their GM... In, in the off season, the 1990 off season, so before the 91 season, um, you know, come for the investing talk, fools, stay for 30 year old baseball talk. Um, but the GM, Pat Gillick, he made a trade. He traded away two of his top stars, Tony Fernandez and Fred McGriff. Again, this was a perennial contender, but couldn't get over the hump. And he traded away for two players uh, to, to the San Diego Padres. Uh, some guy named Joe Carter and some guy named Roberto Alomar. But Roberto Alomar at the time was not the all-star Hall of Famer. He wasn't Roberto Alomar, the Hall of Famer. No, he was the younger brother of Sandy Alomar from Cleveland and the son right, of the Sal- all-star cat. Yeah, yeah. And, right. and the son of Sandy Alomar Sr. Um, but he had potential, upside potential, but, you know, to change the chemistry, to change the team. And so Joe Carter, the Blue Jays won back-to-back World Series in 92-93. Joe Carter uh, had had the winning hit in both or the winning run in both of them. 93. I tried when he hit that home run. I just, I want to say, but like 93. Yeah. Where he hit the only walk off home run from behind in a world, a world series winning home run from behind in history. Cause I think the only mm-hmm. other walk off home run was Bill Mazeroski. And I think that game was tied um, as a walk off, but they, Carter hits that, you know, touch them all, Joe, you'll never hit. He has by far the single most important famous hit slash home run in Toronto Blue Jays history. And Robbie Alomar, all-star second baseman, hit for power, hit for average, speed, great defensive work. Robbie Alomar was a multi-talented player, Hall of Famer. Joe Carter, most famous hit, like the absolute multi-bagger of hits, right? He he gets into the Hall of Fame the same way you and I do. He has to buy a ticket. Right. Alomar's right. in there because Alomar and and our, our, our the analogy we used to make in options when I was running it was we we want to be like Alomar. We want to just consistent right. hit after hit after hit. Do, Occasionally do have a home run. Do everything well consistently. Yeah, exactly. Well, you, you want yeah. the Roberto Alomar before he got to the Mets though. Let's just be clear. Oh, that's right. It's right. He played for the Mets for like a cup of coffee. That's right. Yeah. No, this is like, making like, me really happy now that, that you brought that up. Too. Yeah. But no, I mean, like, and, and yeah, you, you want to right? it's, it's the consistent, regular generation of positive results versus the slugging percentage style of investing where you can get, and that's more of like a, maybe a long-term strategy where you can have multi-baggers that can erase underperformers that's so much damn harder to do with options right and 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 my take is actually i try to avoid like look uh there there are strategies where i am going for a multi-bagger that you you buy a buy a call buy a put that's a that's a leverage bet on a direction of the stock right uh call call stock goes up put stock goes down makes money um and uh, look i've had 10 and 15 baggers and those types of things in like six weeks but you also went into it knowing the risk that if it didn't work out, that's a zero. You could compound your losses. It's a zero. And so when it's yeah. a zero, do you put in twenty percent? A, a zero is, is on the table. A potential zero is on the table, but so is a twenty bagger. Do you go in and put twenty five percent of your portfolio into that, 
Well, not if, right. not if you have the intelligence of a cabbage, you don't. Okay. And so, well, okay, now what are you willing to do? Is it, Purple is, cabbage or green cabbage? Uh, Napa cabbage. Uh, but, okay. But, but, okay, so, so I'm, if I'm not willing to put in 25, I'm willing to put in 10. Uh, again, I'm going to suggest if, if a zero is on the table, you shouldn't. Am I willing to put in two or three? Again, if a zero is on the table, I'm going to suggest you shouldn't. And so, Maybe less than one at this point. Oh, absolutely less than one. I would argue probably 0.5 because if it is a 10-bagger or a 12-bagger, well, now I've got – All of a sudden, you have 5% more in your portfolio. Right, but if it's a zero – it's meaningless. I don't want to blow out. Yeah. So, and and those types of option things aren't fine. The other thing about options too is this was this was kind of drummed into me pretty early in my options career. Um, when you have to console your friend sitting in your kitchen because her husband has signed up for you know uh, an option service that's basically you know the equivalent of I think they, I think it was like four grand to start and a thousand dollars a month to have access to their trading software. And basically it just flashes red and green buy, sell, or, you know, um, and, you know, and, and she'd asked me to look at it about six or eight months earlier. And I'd said, this is just selling index puts. Like you don't want to, like when you sell puts, that's unlimited downside risk for cash in, inflow. It, it, now it's index puts. Indexes don't generally go to zero. Um, you know, Something's really bad has happened if an index goes to zero. Uh, but, uh, you know, but it was still a case of like, you know, hey, here's the risk here. And it's a leveraged downside risk that you've got that you're taking on. Um, and so I'd said I wouldn't sign up for this. And, you know, not, and I ain't paying 4000 and then up 1000 bucks a month for this ridiculous service either. Um, you know, and he'd done it anyway because, of course, he did. Um, you know, and and six or eight months later, she's in my living room as I, or my kitchen rather is, as and she's crying on my shoulder because her husband has literally incinerated seventy thousand dollars that they don't have. Ouch! Yeah. Ouch! Yeah. And so because we were a lot younger and poorer then, um, you know. But it's like okay, well, and and so how how do you get out of this? And and that that really kind of made an impression that because that's and that that predates probably by about five or six years. Eh, five years. Uh, that predates the formation of Motley Fool Options, but it, it was a, it was something yeah. I've never forgotten, obviously, because it's just like, like no, they, I understand the math pretty damn well when it comes to options, and this is going to get you. Know, you can get hurt doing this, and then yet to go back to the slugging percentage analogy, when we were running, when Jeff Fisher and I were running Motley Fool Options, when first, like I said, first Jeff stepped down, then I stepped down. Uh, I think at my departure, I think we had 88% of all close, 88 or 89% of all strategies that had reached their natural conclusion. We'd we'd finished profitable. Now maybe it's a yeah, dollar, well, maybe it's a dollar, right. maybe it's ten thousand dollars profitable. But you know, anytime you can finish profitable in options, that's a win in my book. Uh, and so, yeah. and 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 again, that was the, with the focus on the slugging percentage, the focus on accuracy, as we called it. That is what. And, and 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 Jim Mueller, who's running it now, uh, he has absolutely continued that because that's that's how we sold the service originally to Tom and Dave. You know, saying no, we can do options foolishly, and here's how. So, Jim, time for the lightning round. Sure. We're to wrap this up yeah. now. You ready? Yep. Jeff, Jim, what's the best investment you ever made? Uh, and you can interpret that any way you want. Total return, something you learned. Uh, percent. <laughs> if I told the actual accurate story, it might get me in trouble. Um, let's just say oh, we won't. We won't tell anybody. Let's just say divorce can be expensive, and 
if you had the wisdom, the, uh, the, the, the foresight to put your highest percentage winner in her retirement account, when it comes time to, um, oh, Jeff, it's going to get, if you leave your mic on, man. Um, if you had the good fortune to put that, and we are talking, um, um, I think under my ownership, I think it was a near 35 bagger, 30 bagger, somewhere in there. And so when it comes to dividing, so the, turn, turn a thousand dollars into $36,000. Yeah. Ballpark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the best part about that was, okay, so when you come to do the asset, I, I, I don't wish this on anyone, but sometimes it has to happen. Um, and so when it comes to the asset divide, um, that, that makes the asset divide a lot easier. Uh, and, and, then, um, and then when the soon-to-depart counterparty says, well, what should I do with this? Because it's like now I'm, I'm leaving with this one stock is now 90% of my portfolio. And, and I say, well... The prudent man philosophy would would tell you to sell that down. Um, I'm not going to tell you what to do because it's yours and not my problem. But I would sell that down. And she said, "I don't know how to do that. Can you do it for me?" And I said, "Okay, as my last as my last financial act in this marital relationship, I will do that for you." And I sold 90% of it for her. And three years later, it was taken out uh, at a I think a near triple from where I'd sold it. And so if, no, if, no, if she, no shame for here yeah, if she just held on to it. It might've been, uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like, eh, I hope she never noticed, <laughs> but yeah. So that was probably my best one. Like I said, it was about, it was a 30, not 30 odd bagger under my watch. And it probably would have been a, it probably would have been a damn near hundred bagger. A hundred. Yeah. hundred. Yeah, so, um, but you know, and look, you know, she's, she's doing fine and she's a good mom to our kids. And, you know, we, we are cordial for the sake of the kids and it's fine. Um, but I, like I said, I do hope she, I hope she's not listening because she might say, <laughs> Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So then let, let's flip the script. What's the, what's the worst investment you ever made? Brilliant. Uh, the ticker all gone now. Uh, and it's a case of, it, it it's a case of, uh, what are the lessons? It. Uh, I'll skip to the punchline. It's a ninety-nine point nine percent loss. I think. Um, but no, I, I bought a. I bought a company, a software company, in the middle of the two thousand bubble, uh, and the technology is excellent. I heard a lot of people did that. Yeah, one or two did. Uh, we have to relearn those lessons every few decades, too. Apparently, um, but yeah, we keep making new people. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Um, but what it, it's technology that we don't think anything of today. It's technology that is basically uh, it, it's almost uh, it, it was it was technology to zoom in and out of images on the internet. We don't think anything of that today, right? It's it's ubiquitous on Amazon and eBay and a real estate site. It's, you, it, we don't even think about. It. We don't think it's technology. But it very much is to not lose quality composition, be able to zoom in, zoom out. Um, and so this company, MGI Software, basically had that back in 2000. And I'm like, wow, well, everyone's going to use this. Everyone's going to want this. Uh, and so I, now I didn't put a lot of money into it, but you know, I think I put 1,500 bucks into it. Um, and uh, I, I'm not sure I top ticked it, but I came close. Um, I think I bought it at about $35, and I think it topped out at about 40. Um, and 
And then, you know, the bubble bursts in 2000 and, you know, things start going down and they had planned to do a secondary. They were cash burning too. They, they planned to do so, you know, so A, don't buy software companies during tech bubbles. That's lesson one. B, they were cash flow negative. We know my focus on cash flows. Uh, that's hard earned. Um, and then C, the company had said, well, we're going to, they want, they were going to do a secondary offering on the NASDAQ. So co-listing on the Toronto Stock Exchange where, where their primary listing was and on the NASDAQ and to raise more capital. And then as things turned south in, in, in 2000, uh, they said, oh, well, you know, we're going to hold off on that secondary listing because, you know, the price has gone down so much. So we're going to hold off. Uh, that was a fatal mistake, unfortunately, uh, because they banked that they assumed they would rebound, and <laughs> they didn't. Uh, and so, um, so it bottomed at about a dollar. So again, I paid about thirty-five for it. So it bottomed at about a dollar and change. And then, uh, then people started getting excited because at this point, they, they're just a target. They, you know, they're going to get acquired, and so people bid it up to about two dollars and change on the excitement of being acquired. Um, and then the one bid came from a company called Roxio. And the one bid, and like I think the stock was like two dollars and twenty cents. And Roxio said, "We'll give you a buck thirty in shares. We're not going to give you cash. We'll give you shares." And so yeah, so they they had no choice. They had to take it. So I I inherited shares of Roxio. I got a little bit of cash out because like I just to get even number of shares. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a, I got a. A, a couple of shares of Roxio, and then Roxio pr- proceeded to lose about ninety percent of its value in the next year. So it's just like so essentially, you managed to lose more than ninety percent of your value in a stock twice on twice. the same stock. Yeah. So if you on if, if you if you put that return together, I think it works out to like ninety nine point nine eight percent. I just you know I I, I put I put uh, I put fifteen hundred bucks into it, and I think I walked out with twenty. Last question here. From me, anyway. Actually, we have yeah. so that's the last question of the of the lightning round, I should say. It's not very Jeff lightning. Being, <laughs> being the arts and music guy, yeah, it's more like a thunderstorm. Yeah. But Jeff, Jeff, being the arts and music guy, wanted to know your favorite band. I wanted to know your favorite dessert. So we're going to say Ladies' Choice. <laughs> you you pick which of those do you want to answer? Well, favorite the, band or favorite? The dessert's dinner? easy because it's pecan pie. Because apparently I'm a southerner at heart. I don't know. Um, band is interesting because I've seen a lot of shows. Like I've been to a lot of shows. I was actually yeah. just in Washington. Oh, yeah. We had now a lot of these shows are, you know, from when I was a lot younger and didn't have kids and wasn't married and didn't have, you know, so I could, I could go to 200 shows in a year. Yes, I did that a couple years, actually. And there are a lot of small bands. Um, you know, but like, I don't know if you've heard of the band called Our Lady Peace. Uh, yeah, I, I saw Our Lady Peace in a, in a bar in London, Ontario with nine people. And I think I might've been the only person not related to Rain Maida in the crowd. Um, uh, favorite band is hard because I've seen so many shows. I'll, I'll say that, uh, I absolutely love the Gaslight Anthem and Brian Fallon. Um, I absolutely love Frank Turner. Uh, I'm a fan of hot water music. So I'm a, I'm a fan of kind of punk and kind of American style kind of, uh, you know, uh, punk music, not, but like, not, not like, you know, not like the sex pistols. I, I love the clash sex pistols. Sex pistols were a boy band. You know, they were, that's what people don't realize. They, they tell me I'm wrong. They were manufactured by Malcolm McLaren. They were yeah, absolutely yeah. a boy band. Um, but the clash had cred, uh, funny, funny story. Uh, my, uh, my significant other Lulu here, 
her dad, her dad, it looks exactly like Joe Strummer from the clash. So I, I once sent her a picture of her father, or sorry, I, I sent her a picture of Joe Strummer in like, in, in like, you know, his mid forties. And she's like, why do you have an old picture of my dad? I'm like, that's not your dad. Um, and, and then, you know, some of the best concerts I've ever been to, um, Johnny Clegg and Savuka out of South Africa were phenomenal. The first time I ever saw them, um, sugar, which is Bob mold from Husker do his, uh, his, his kind of project between Husker do and his solo career. Uh, sugar was a great show. Um, there's a band called spirit of the West out of Canada. They are now defunct because their lead singer has passed away. Sadly, uh, a young, a young age. Uh, I, I probably saw, um, probably saw spirit of the West 60 times and saw John Mann, the mentioned aforementioned singer, probably saw him solo five or six times, uh, a band called the bourbon tabernacle choir out of Toronto. Um, they're all now available on Spotify. Uh, they, they were uh, all the rage in Southern Ontario in, uh, in the mid nineties. They have played exactly one reunion show. It was in at the music festival in the town where I live in 2008. I quite literally wept tears of joy when that show was announced. Um, so, and then from, from the bourbons that you had, uh, there's a duo, uh, there, they go by, well, they were going by Chris Brown and Kate Fenner cause their names are Chris Brown and Kate Fenner. Um, but, uh, as you can imagine, Chris, Chris Brown kind of doesn't go by Chris Brown anymore cause, uh, you know, yeah. awkward. So he goes by Hugh Christopher Brown, but they were a duo for years. And I, I, I just like good musicians doing, you know, showing me the talent that I lack, uh, you know, and, uh, I just, I just enjoy that. So. Yeah, when you've That's seen awesome. when you've seen that many shows, it is it becomes hard to pick pick one. So, Jim, if uh, obviously we've talked a lot about your work with the Motley Fool, both here and in Canada, it, but if people want to find you any anywhere else, do you have a, a Twitter handle you want to give out, or any other way for people uh, to contact you? Yeah, on Twitter, I'm at Jim P. Gillies. Uh, so real, real original. Yeah, it's my name with my middle initial. Um, uh, so that's Twitter. Uh, I, I can be found at uh, Motley Fool Canada's Hidden Gems Canada, where I am the lead advisor and giving two stock picks a month. Some of them absolute bangers, and some of them like that one back. Uh, that, sometimes life unfolds the way you didn't think it would. So unfortunately, uh, but no. General overall, we got a pretty decent track record there. I, it was a, it was a product I didn't start, so I kind of inherited the track record at about the two year mark. Um, a lot of the stocks that were picked before I showed up, uh, were a little bit outside what I like to do for investment wise. So we still have a few of them around, but I did gas a bunch of them. Um, and then I, I'm also, you know, dividend investor Canada, I'm kind of one part of a three or four headed beast who kind of runs that. And then I contribute to Stockify. team Canada is a pretty small team. So we all kind of, you know, we'll step in and support each other like when they need you know, if you need help or if I go on vacation, you know, I'll talk with someone and we'll, we'll agree to the stock pick before I leave. And then, you know, they'll write it up. So, uh, but yeah, no hidden gems, Canada, dividend investor, Canada, stock advisor, Canada, and all of those products are basically 50, 50 Canada facing stocks and U S facing stocks because Canada only being 3% of the world's equity market and a bunch of that equities and financials and resources, let's admit it. Um, you know, it, the prudent man diversification principle would say, hey, maybe you should invest outside of Canada as well, which is why we do about 50-50. Yeah. Jim, this, is, this has been awesome. I think, I think we've, uh, we've wrung everything we can out of this conversation. I'm looking forward to doing more of these with you in the future. No problem. All right, friends. As you know, we love to ask 
the hard investing questions and give our answers to those questions. Have people like Jim on, have them give their answers to these questions. But you've got to find your own answers to the hard investing questions out there. But like I say, every show, I believe in you. You can do it. Jim, thanks again. Appreciate it. Thank you for the invite, gentlemen. Jeff Santoro, buddy, we will see you next time. See you next time.